what I have done is had uh, the mission statement put up on our, uh, our screen with some, shall we say, blanks in them. All right? And I want to see whether you can fill in the blanks. So a mission statement is all about why we exist. Why does this church do what it does? Why do we put hours and effort and prayer into what we uh, uh, give ourselves to? Well, we exist to, who knows, blank people to Jesus. Some, whoa, 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 whoa. That's bizarre. Okay, one at a time. Introduce people to Jesus. Give that man a brownie. That's awesome. You know, we're really about introducing people to Jesus. And the, the last series that I preached to you was all about you know, us essentially becoming people who can tell our stories of faith to people who don't know Jesus. You know, the before and how we came to Jesus and then what life has been like afterwards. And it is my heart's prayer that you now are equipped and you are confident so that when that time comes for you to share your story, you'll be able to do it. And more than that, that you are now praying that God gives you that opportunity in your relationships with people so that you are able to do that. And again, the vision. Can you imagine if we're all sharing our story with regularity with what, what God would do with that? So we exist to introduce people to Jesus, and now you're all storytellers and inviters. Oh, my goodness. I'm really impressed with that one. I want you to think of yourself that way. You're a storyteller, and you are an inviter. Tell your stories. Bring people here on a Sunday morning. Grow this church. Help people into a relationship with, with the Lord Jesus. Who are you? One, two, three, storytellers, and thank you. Oh, I am impressed. Okay, so we exist to introduce people to Jesus to deepen our faith. Thank you. The series that we're about to jump into is all about deepening our faith. It's about us being transformed by the presence of God, by His Spirit, taking the truths of Scripture and making us new, changing us so that we might be transformed. I'm going to quote the Apostle Paul into the image of Christ. Do you know that what you, that's what your life's about? You're going to introduce people to Jesus, and it's about becoming more like him. And you know, the more we dig into the things that will transform us, the more we dig into the truths of God's word, we're to be made new. We're to become like him. It's an amazing thing. So we exist to introduce people to Jesus, to deepen our faith, to participate. <laughs> yeah, but you're on staff, you know. That's, but no, that's right, to participate in God's, well, good for you, Aaron. At least you know it, right? <laughs> I think it's the one, one person who said it right. But to participate in God's life-transforming story. And you remember all last year we talked about the upper story of God. How God, you know, has, you know, from the beginning of creation till the end has a purpose and he has a plan and he's making that plan happen. You know? And we get to participate in the lower story. We get to play our part as a church, as individual people. You know, it's an amazing thing that we can participate in what God's doing in this world. So to participate in God's life-transforming story and... Huh? Can't hear you. Serve. There we go. Serve others at home and around the world. That's how you participate. We become ministers. You know the word minister means servant? Y'all are ministers of the gospel. You get to love people and share Jesus just like I do in your own context, in your own way. Can we say this together? Can we stay focused on this as a church? Here we go. We exist to introduce people to Jesus, to deepen our faith, participate in God's life-transforming story, and serve others at home and around the world. Well done, well done. 
That's great. I want this to take root in our hearts, and I want to see this, this mission that we have been given by God is defined by our elders, our leadership, to, to uh, so motivate us to a passionate engagement uh, in this world for God. All right? Is that a deal? Mm. I'm looking for enthusiasm, people. I'm looking for passion, you know. I really am. Let's watch this video as we jump into our Deepening Our Faith series to come. You're going to be encountering that family a little bit over the next five weeks, for good or ill. But we're going to have a good time. I think we're going to enjoy what they do for us. I want to begin the series today, which is obvious to you in terms of where we're going, and I'm going to explain that essentially. I am going to introduce a topic to you that I think is profoundly important for those who know Jesus and want to thrive in life. It's that simple. But I want want to begin it by making what I would consider a bold statement. Um... And if you really think about it, it might even be a little offensive. I don't think it will be overly, but that's up to you. It is this. God wants all of us to have our lives changed substantially. God wants all of us to have our lives changed substantially. How do you respond to that? It's like, oh, leave me alone. I'm fine. I don't want to change. Life is good. Give me a break, Chris, you know. I believe with all of my heart that what I'm going to teach you about core needs indicates the fact that God wants you to change in a significant way. He wants you to believe differently. He wants you to live differently. He wants you to change in terms of who you are. And that's why he sent Jesus into this world. And he wants you to live, can I put it this way, better. It's that simple. He wants to... to, to, Move you toward a quality of life in which your well-being is greater. You are more whole. You are more complete. You're experiencing life even in the tough and the difficult times with more joy and with more peace. I think God wants to do a work in your life over the course of this series that will be entirely dependent on the work by His Spirit in your life. I can't make it happen. I can talk about the Bible and I can share its truths and so forth. But really, it's about what God might do in your life to move all of us to a greater quality of living. Um, And can I put it this way, which many people, even people who know Jesus, never experience. Now, that ought, ought to make you sit up and take notice. I think there's something that God has for us. There's a a way of living, a quality of life that we all long for in our being, in the deeper part of our being, that God desires us to know that many of us, even we who are Jesus followers, never get to. 
And I hope through this series, God's going to do something in your life and in mine too. What I'm going to do is take us to the early part of Genesis again. The older I get, the more I preach, the more I grow in my faith, the more I come to realize how incredibly significant chapters 1 to 3 of Genesis actually are. I've been talking about them more recently, haven't I? Have you noticed? Basically, they're significant because of this. If you don't have a significant problem, there is no need for a significant solution. And in Genesis chapter 1 to 3, although wonderful things are described in terms of creation, we run in into a brick wall as human beings, which God spends Genesis 4 to Revelation 21 fixing. There's a huge problem human beings encounter in Genesis 1 to 3, ultimately, that God in his upper story gives himself to. And you'll remember the sequence of scripture. There's creation and there's fall. That's when sin in the world. There is redemption and there is restoration. And we are part of that upper story of God. God is at work. We get to play the lower story part in, as a church in our own way. We get to do for God what God wants done so that ultimately restoration might happen. But these chapters, man, do they have significance, do they have power? And we're going to dig into them again just briefly this morning. In these first chapters of Genesis, what we see, first of all, is the creation story. Everything is created by God. Everything that exists is created of God. Then God puts Adam and ultimately Eve into the Garden of Eden. Those two people, um, and this is before the fall, before evil invades and before these two sins, uh, sin, those two people live in what is called paradise. Have you ever thought of their experience in those days? They were walking with God in the garden, we, we say. They, were, they had this relationship with God that was real and profound. They knew him and they knew his truth. And they had a wonderful quality of life. Now what I want to do is, is present to you this morning this contention that every need that Adam and Eve had in their lives in those days was met by God. Every single one. What I'm going to do is read some of Genesis 1, 26 to 31, first of all, and then I'm going to read uh, some of Genesis chapter 2. As I read, and they're just, it's just some of the creation story and what happens before sin and evil invade, I want you to listen to see what God is doing in terms of meeting the needs of his people. So I'm putting you to work, okay? Here we go, Genesis 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and the wild animals, over all the creatures that move on the ground. Any need met there of human beings? So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over every, every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. God meeting needs. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food, and it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Let's go over to chapter 2. And let's read from verses 4 to 10, and then we'll jump to 15. This is, this is the parallel account, by the way. You know, there are two accounts of creation in Genesis. Chapter 1, 
chapter 2. They're parallel. Describe the same thing in a bit, a bit of a different way. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when God made the heavens and the earth. Now, no sh shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Now the Lord, now the Lord God made all kinds of... Um, sorry, now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden. And there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye. Beautiful. And good for food. And in the middle of the garden, there was the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there, it was separated into four headwaters. And I'm going to jump ahead rather than reading about those rivers. 15. The Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord commanded the man, you are free to eat of any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, <clears throat> it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Uh, need meeting God. Now the Lord had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So he gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and, the wild and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. And Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. And I want to tell you, my friends, in what I've just described to you and much else that is there, every single need of Adam and Eve was met by God. And they lived this quality of life that we can only dream of. This, this experience of life where, where their physical needs were met. They, they had food, and their relational needs were met. They had each other, and they had, their spiritual needs were met. They knew God. They knew his truth. They knew his presence. They knew his power. They knew his love. And in this place, they were satisfied. But I want to go beyond these needs, and I want to describe to you that their deeper needs, what I'm going to call core needs in life, your core needs also had been met. Needs that God had created Adam and Eve with, with which, which they needed to have met in order to live well, in order to live that life of well-being and of wholeness and of incredible blessing. And I want to tell you, we still live as human beings with those needs operative in our life. We often don't think about them. We often don't process this stuff very often, but those needs have been put in us by God, and if we are to live the quality of life that those two people lived, our needs need met too by God. And we're going to discuss these five core needs over the next five weeks, and, and we're going to learn how to live well. And I hope and I pray that God works in your hearts so that these deep, sometimes they're called core needs, sometimes they're called core longings, the thing that we long for in life, so that they will be um, made real, that they'll be satisfied in God. You see, if they're not satisfied 
in God, our lives are diminished. Our, li our lives come to that experience where we're not whole and we're not complete and we're not blessed the way that we could be blessed. We're not living the quality of life that we could life in live in Jesus. And I want to tell you, my friends, God wants to change you and me. Every single one of us. I don't care where we're at in our spiritual journey. I don't care whether we're just new believers in Jesus or whether we've lived for 50 years in him and we've been transformed by his word and by his spirit in lots and lots of ways. Each of us still needs to take another step forward in terms of allowing God, the living God, to meet our deepest needs and take us to that place uh, uh, that Adam and Eve experienced with him. So, what are these needs? I'm going to describe them to you and we're going to put them up on the screen one at a time. Number one, each of us, just like Adam and Eve, need to know that we're loved and that we're lovable. Do you know that you're loved by God? And if I can press the issue, and if you can back next week, you'll hear a whole lot more about this. How much, to what extent do you know and believe deeply that God loves you? My contention is lots of us don't know that well enough. But love is the first one. Number two, and I'm going to go through these quickly. I shouldn't take time with each of them. Number two is security. And that basically speaks to the reality that we believe that we're safe. <laughs> you don't believe you're safe. That has a lot of really negative implications in life. It can be destructive and harmful to us. Number three, we need to know that we are significant. We need to know that we are important, that we count, that our lives <laughs> are given value and worth. Number four, we need to know we have belonging. It's a real need in our lives. We need to know that we are not alone in life. See, we are not created to live life uh, in isolation. We need to belong to something and someone bigger than ourselves. And lastly, each of us to thrive, we have a need to know what our purpose is. And to need, we need to know that we have purpose in our experience. My friends, if we will get these right if we will seek God and find these needs met in him, our lives will change and we will experience a life that we do not yet know, that we have not yet taken hold of. And I want you to think about Adam and Eve. Just leave those up for a little while if you would. Um, and how they lived. They knew God loved them. <laughs> they got to see him and talk to him every day. It wasn't a question. Sin hadn't clouded their perspective. Sin hadn't taught them to believe what wasn't true. They knew in their heart of hearts that they were loved by God. Security. They knew that they were safe in him. They knew that they had significance because of him. They knew that they had belonging in a garden, yes, but also in a relationship with the living God. And they knew that they had purpose because he called them to work uh, the earth, to care for the garden, and to populate the world. And because their core needs were met in God, their lives thrived, right? And they lived their lives, listen to me, as God intended them to live. And that's what this is all about. Moving in measured steps to the life that God wants for us. What God has always wanted for every human being born on the planet. But especially, of course, for his people. Now, what happened? Well, of course, evil invaded creation. Many of you know this story. The serpent, the devil came, the father of lies came, and he lied to Adam and Eve. And what did they do? They believed his lies. And they began to live based on the lies that they had come to believe, and they rebelled against God, and they were separated from God. And in their separation from God, what happened? Their core needs were no longer met in him because they were no longer walking with him in the garden. 
in that intimate relationship, living according to the truth of God. And from that day until today, every human being born is born in that state. We talked about it in that story campaign, didn't we? The, the, the fallen human nature, the reality of us not seeing the truth, not believing the truth because of the power of sin that is within us. We are born without a relationship that we need to come into. We are born without the truth of God in our minds and deeply operative in our hearts. So much so that we are not able to know at a deep level that our core needs, our core longings are met in God. And what happens, and you tell me if this is at all part of your experience, is without that knowledge, that truth working profoundly within us, human beings turn to other things, often to other people, to have their needs met in something or someone other than God. Ever done that? You do it? Something other than the God who is the one who has the capacity and the ability to allow us to believe and to know and to satisfy the needs that are within us. When we do that, when we turn to something other than God, we engage in what the Bible calls idolatry. Looking to something other than the Lord himself to provide us that which only God can give us. We idolize some things and we idolize some people. But we never receive from these idols what only God can provide. You know, think about this a little bit. Um, What do we do when we feel and believe in our heart of hearts we're not significant. Well, sometimes we start to engage in people-pleasing, looking for the approval of other people, because if I can can please you, if I can get your approval, then essentially what's going on is that you are telling me that I'm okay, you are telling me that I'm significant, I'm looking to you to affirm the significance that I long for. I had a little chuckle to myself after I stood up here and I said, "Uh, anybody miss me? Now, if I really needed you to say yes, I would make you my idol. Because I was looking to you, I would be looking to you, and I don't think I am, quite frankly, I was being funny, trying to be. But I would be looking to something other than God to tell me that I'm a significant guy. How about love? How about love? Have you ever heard the phrase, I know you have, looking for love in all the wrong places? Don't put up your hand, but how many of you have done it? You know, looking for a relationship or looking for someone desperately to love me because I need to be loved? Looking to sexuality so that someone can prove to me that I'm lovable, that I'm okay, that I am loved in this life. How about security? You know, in our culture, really wired toward materialism, there's a, a profound, can I call it, lie that if we put enough money in the bank that we are secure... I'm okay for my retirement now. I'm okay. But what did Jesus explicitly teach? He said, don't lay up treasures in heaven. In essence, what he's saying is don't put your security in wealth because in his day it can be stolen and moths can eat it and, and, uh, and it can rust. What he's essentially saying, whether you're in, in AD 25 or whether you were in 2019, wealth can disappear like that and your security can never be found in wealth can only be found in God. And you are safe because you are his, and he will care for you. 
You see, what I, you see what I'm describing here today? We look to other things and we idolize them in, in order that they might meet the need which only God can meet. How about belonging? I'm going to apply this to teenagers because I was once one and I, I just think it's the way it works and it, it's a great way to bring application. But I'm going to apply it to all of us in a minute. Teenagers sometimes will do anything that is required in order to belong. Right? Anything. Even though those things, those behaviors might be caustic to their soul. And you know what I have come to see and believe with all of my heart? Sometimes people in their 20s and their 30s and their 40s and their 50s and their 60s and their 70s, etc., will do anything in order to belong because they have this deep need to belong and they will do what is required even though it is caustic to their soul. My friends, there is a God in heaven who loves us. And he is willing to meet the most significant needs of our lives. And these are only some. There might be others. I'm not saying there aren't. But he will meet our need for love and security and significance and belonging and purpose if we'll turn away from all that the world causes us to think about. All those things that, the, that, the, that life has taught us, the, the lies that we have come to believe as Adam and Eve once came to believe in lies, thinking that something other than God can meet those needs. And here's the biblical reality. These needs, hear this, can only be truly satisfied by the living God in our lives as they were in the life of Adam and Eve, the lives of Adam and Eve. Listen to me. I want you to take hold of this. Because Jesus came and because Jesus died and because Jesus rose again, we, by faith in him, can come back can I put it that way? Into a relationship with God. What was lost can be restored for any human being. And in that place, God can meet our deepest needs. By the work of his spirit, through the truth of scripture, we can come to replace the lies of evil, which dwell in our minds. Deny it if you wish. <laughs> but I don't think it's uh, truly deniable. The, the lies which evil has worked into our minds and into our hearts, and he can, he can expel those lies so that we come to believe the truth of God. And our needs can be met at a deep, deep level, and we can be changed. We can live a quality of life that God intends his people to know. You know, Paul talks about wh whoever is in Christ is a new creation. The old has come, the new. The old is gone, the new has come, right? And that's what we want to step into, the new reality of living as, a, as, as one redeemed in Jesus, he says in another place that we have to then put off the old and put on the new. Well, how does, what's the little phrase that, that joins those two statements in Philippians? Well, Paul talks about being made new in the attitude of our minds. This understanding of what's true is the place we are allowed to, to get rid of that which is old, that which is of evil, that which is a lie, and embrace that which is new, the truth of God that comes to us in Jesus. And when we are made new in the attitudes of our minds, my goodness, my friends, life for us will change. Now, please don't assume that this doesn't apply to you. Please. Double negative means it does. As a matter of fact, please assume that what I'm describing to you does apply to you. That you believe some of the lie. That you are looking for thing, towards things, created things, rather than to the creator to have your deepest needs in life met. Please assume that this applies to you. Please assume that, that those lives, lies are alive and well and at work in your soul 
and that they need to be expelled from your life and replaced by truth. <laughs> Some people here literally will believe, I'm not loved. Or, and I think more profoundly, I'm not lovable. Because that speaks to who I am, my being, my character. Anybody here believe they're not lovable deep down in their heart of hearts? These, these, by the way, are not easy things to get in touch with. It requires the work of the Spirit, but it's common among the people of God. There are people here who will actually believe with all of their hearts that life is not safe. And as a result, you worry a lot. There are people who, here who will believe at the core of their being, and that's what I'm talking about, not what bounces off the top of your head, that I am not significant, I'm not important. There are people here who actually believe that they do not belong. And there are people here I could almost guarantee who would say if they were really pressed to the wall, say, no, I don't have a purpose for my life. I don't know why I exist. Even though we believe in God, even though we have come to follow and believe in Jesus, as a result, we go chasing after other things, the things of the world, in order to satisfy the deepest longings of our heart. We turn not to God. And listen to me, we never come to a place in life potentially where the critical needs in our lives are met. Now, I know God has an opinion, but I'm going to tell you mine, which I think is somewhat in line with it. I don't want you to live there anymore. I don't. The Lord, he loves you so much, he doesn't want you to live there anymore. He doesn't want you to live according to the lie that you have been taught. He doesn't want to live you, your life anymore without these deep longings being fully satisfied in him. Now, I'm going to throw this in because it's so important to say, and I'm going to be illustrating a lot to this as we go forward, and as I say, this is introductory. We are born this way, to coin a phrase. <laughs> we are born believing the lie. We are born believing that this isn't the reality of our lives because we live in a fallen human race. I wish it wasn't so, but since that day Adam and Eve fell, we, their descendants, are born believing lies. But we also have experiences in life which either teach or reaffirm the lies which we believe. Do you think that? Quick illustration. Woman who was sexually abused, as I know many are, tragically. Does that teach her that life is safe and that she is secure? Does that, does that teach her that, that this world is a safe world in which to live or otherwise? Oh, I want to tell you, it teaches her otherwise very, very often. And she needs to come to a place where, where God, by his spirit, works in her life and teaches her something otherwise? That woman who has been abused, what does that experience teach her? That she's precious? That she's valued? That she has inherent worth? Or does she come to believe, if any man can treat me like that, I have no worth or value in this life. I was just used for somebody else's pleasure. I want to tell you, my friends, those deeply wounding experiences which we have, 
will allow evil to implant the lie in our minds if it's not there already or to reinforce the lie which we believe and it has devastating consequences for the rest of our lives, potentially, unless the truth of God intervenes. People need healing through a truth encounter with God and his word. I'm going to tell you right now, a lot of this material arises from our healing care ministry, which is active in our church, and through which many people have found great healing from their woundedness. So there are three things that I hope to do as we begin to wind down now. You know, pastors say that and it never happens. Here we go. Here we go. It's going to take a while, but that's beside the point. <clears throat> three things I want to do. Number one, I want to focus on childhood and on parenting. And you go, how on earth do you get from that to childhood and parenting? Well, it's this. And I have learned this in my healing journey. Listen to this. It's profound. The things that we learn about ourselves, about others, about the world, and even about God, we learn mostly by the time we're five years of age. I have come to an absolute conviction about the truth of that reality. Let me say it again. The things that we learn about ourselves, about others, about the world, and about God, we learn mostly by the time that we are five years of age. And what that learning does, and I'm going to describe it to you in a minute, it creates a grid through which we view life as a child and sometimes for the rest of our lives. Sometimes the grid never changes tragically. It's how we see the reality of things. You see, when, when, when children experience things, young children you know, they don't have the capacity to rationally and logically process the experiences that they have in life. They just quickly interpret them and often end up believing the lie. Um, because they don't have that capacity to process logically and, and rationally. So, <clears throat> for, an, for example, if dad is absent, whether physically absent, or whether he's physically absent but, emo but physically present but emotionally absent. <clears throat> if dad is an absent dad, what they come to believe is, I'm not important. I'm not that significant because of the way he has treated me. And maybe even I'm not loved or I'm not lovable. Say mom lashes out in anger one day because she's tired and frustrated and She's had an incredibly difficult day. Little kids don't have the, pro, pro, the capacity to say, oh, mom's had a rough day and I have to cut her some slack and I da-da-da-da-da. Uh, sometimes if what mom says or what mom does is, is hurtful to the child, that child comes to believe, you know what, life's not safe. And it's unbelievable because sometimes one experience can cause us to believe the lie or enforce that belief. And what I want to do is help people see Parents and grandparents, by the way, see the huge opportunity that they have to help their children grow up believing that they are loved and that they're safe and that they're significant and that they have belonging and that they have purpose. To form a grid <laughs> that, through which they see life in that way. And it's never going to be perfect, believe me. Any perfect parent in this church can produce that perfectly in their child, God willing. But none of us are perfect. We make all kinds of mistakes. That's why so often we need healing later on, just in the nature of being human. 
But what I want to tell you, my friends, as we give thought to this, if we intentionally work at it, we can bless our children for the rest of their lives by giving them a healthy, truth-oriented, biblical grid through which they can see themselves and others in the world and God. And as they grow up into a faith in Jesus, they can transfer essentially so much that they've learned from their parents and they can transfer it to their heavenly parent, God, so that they can believe with all of their hearts that he loves them and that they're secure in him and safe, that he, they have significance because of him, that they belong to him, and that they have purpose because he gives it to them. I want to tell you honestly, parents, if they give, and, I, and I'm going to speak to this, especially in those young, youngest years of life, if they give their children that focused attention and priority, they can set their kids up for the rest of their lives to live a life where their needs ultimately are met as God brings healing where necessary. <clears throat> Number one, we want to focus on childhood and parenting. Number two, more briefly, I would love if everybody here could begin to see eyes opened, to understand um, the things that I have suggested to you today, that you begin to grapple with this reality about whether or not your core needs have been met in God or not, about whether you are, you know, believing the lie or whether you're of evil or whether you're believing the truth of God, about whether you're chasing after the things of the world which you hope will satisfy the deepest longings of your heart or not. And then thirdly, I'd love you not only to see and understand, but begin to experience God's truth so that the lies are expelled and the truth takes root, not here, but here in your heart, so that you are healed, so that you are restored, so that you are made to believe, brought to believe in the truth that God loves you and gives you safety and significance and belonging and purpose. Now that's only something I said that can happen by the work of the Holy Spirit within you. So here's how I want to finish today. Number one, I want you to come. Because I think there's potential for you. And I don't know how God's going to touch each of your lives, but I am praying for you all the time. And then I invite you to pray for one another that God by his spirit would work and that we would be changed. That we can, we can move beyond this fallen humanity. We can get rid of the old and we can put on the new. By believing the truth of God, the truth of God, who he is, his perspective toward you, his heart toward you, what he does for you. And I would just have you pray that God works in your own life. See, I can stand here and I can preach, you know, till my little heart is all worn out and I'm done. <laughs> but unless the spirit of God moves in your heart and in your mind to communicate his truth, it's sometimes frustrating as a pastor, right? Like, I can't do it, <laughs> but the Spirit of God can. And if you will ask him to work in us, and if you will ask him to work in your life, and if you will come and put yourself in that, if you will position yourself in the presence of Jesus, that he might work by his Spirit, I hope and I pray with all of my heart that you'll start to live like Adam and Eve once lived. <laughs> can you imagine how your life would change. Your life's not going to be free of problems. Your life's not going to be free of struggles and difficulties and heartaches. Goodness sakes, we live in a fallen world. But we might start to live life, as I said earlier, with a whole lot more peace and a whole lot more joy because we know that our needs are met in God, that God is the solution to our need.
My friends, I want you to have a living experience with God like Adam and Eve did. I want you to know his truth in your mind and in your heart. I want it to transform you. And I want your needs fully met in him. Can we pray together to that end? Is that a deal? Let me see the hands. Come on. All right, let's pray. Lord God, we want everything that you have for us. We don't want to live our lives in some sort of subpar way, in a way somehow, Lord, that is less than what is possible for your people. God, we have all kinds of struggles and difficulties and heartaches in life, which so often, most often, are rooted in the fact that we long for what? Uh, we long for our needs to be met. God, my prayer today is for this people gathered before you, and even for myself again, Lord, that you will work by your spirit, that you'll work through the truth of your word, that you will open our eyes to see and to understand these dynamics, and that you will open our eyes to see and believe the truth so that the lie is expelled from our lives. And we know who you are, and we know, Lord, that you are the one meeting our needs. And God, lead us into that quality of life that we long for. We, we intuitively know life can be better. God, give it to us. By the work of your spirit, we pray. This we ask in Jesus' name. <laughs>